0: I know the gift is in the room, but we're not selling very well. What do you think? And Eddie said, what are we doing right now? said, I don't know, man. We're, We're just having lunch. He said, is it fair to say that we're breaking bread? I said, sure, absolutely. We're breaking bread. Eddie said, when's the last time you broke bread with anybody on the team besides me? And that was one of those moments where it was not easy to hear. It was very courageous and honest of him to have that radical candor and tell me, but I needed to hear it because the problem, Gary, is I was managing people the way that I was managed Nobody put their nice white gloves on and gave me the Ritz-Carlton service and said, boy, I was just told to sell things and it was a sink or swim environment. And because of that, I just stepped into that role and I assumed, just like parenting can carry over often the way that we were parented, for better or worse, when we become parents, that's just our default. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but that's our starting point. I had a starting point with a lot of flaws. And so with those flaws and then eventually becoming aware of them, I never realized that there was a more important rule than the golden rule, which was to treat others as you want to be treated, the platinum rule to treat others as they want to be treated. I wasn't treating our team the way that they wanted to be treated. They were not clones of Paul. They were each a beautiful individual, a human being that has an individual purpose And they had a reason for being there. They wanted to be happy. They wanted to be fulfilled. Of course, they wanted to grow their career. But they wanted that camaraderie and connection. They wanted a relationship with their leader. And I wasn't providing that at one stage. And that conversation with Eddie changed everything for me. And I'll say this. This isn't just a feel-good story that I woke up. Well, 28th out of 30 in revenue one year. Next year, same bad product we were selling second, number two out of 30 in revenue, because everybody was showing up as their full self. Similar talent, similar gifts, but now their passion was allowed to shine.
1: My name's Dr. Gary Crotes, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. My regular listeners will know that I spent a large part of my life in competitive dance sport as a child, then later as an amateur and then professional competitor. Most would think of the ballroom dance floor as refined and generally pretty graceful, but in the highest echelons, the level of competitive intensity rivals many of the more traditional sports you might think of. My guest today comes from the world of the NBA and the NFL. Now, of course, I'm interested to discover more about his natural dancing skills, but more importantly, I'm looking forward to hearing about what he's learned along the way in a fascinating career in the world of sport, business, and leadership. A 15-year pro sports business executive, Paul Epstein, became the go-to fixer for NBA teams, NFL franchises, and league executive offices. He was the Y coach, yes, that is a role, of the San Francisco 49ers. He recognizes that victory comes from the inside and requires an all-in culture empowered by a growth mindset and a belief that we all have unlimited potential when we double down on our strengths, gifts, talents, and passions the author of The Power of Playing Offense, leadership coach and the host of the Playmakers podcast, Paul is on a mission to inspire purpose and transform leadership as we know it. He's got a great story and is an inspiring speaker. What I really want to find out is how he got here and what makes him tick. What were those unlock moments of remarkable clarity when he figured out the path ahead? Let's find out. Paul Epstein, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the unlock moment.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Gary. Fired up to be here.
1: Fantastic. Now let's start out with this question. Often people can link the decisions and actions in their life to their experiences growing up. When you look back, is there a thread that connects your life's journey? Where can you track everything you've done back to in do you track it back to childhood? Where where do you go back to?
0: Absolutely. And this is very familiar territory for me, because as I coach others to ultimately live a life of greater purpose, and I boil it down to this central form of identity. And so from its, if I could, if I could say we each have a compass within us, and there's inner layers of the compass, there's outer layers of the compass. So I'll go quickly through it. And then I'll tie it back to some of my journey. So from the most central parts of the compass, the heartbeat of it is your why. Then the next level up, your values. Together, your why and values represent who you are. Then the next level up, we all have life experiences and they shape us to your point. I call those our beliefs. Our beliefs are what we stand for. So now we have a sense of who am I and what do I stand for? And then the outermost layers. This is all that the world sees when they don't know who you are. They just see how you show up. I consider how you show up your decisions and actions. So this through line, outer is how I show up. Is it aligned and congruent and connected to what I stand for? Is that aligned, connected, and congruent to who I am at my core? And when I dive deep into those inner layers, When I help and coach others to understand their why and their values, what we do is a life reflection exercise. And it's exactly what you just asked me. If I could share this with everybody listening in, imagine there was a blank sheet of paper in front of you horizontally. You draw a line through the middle from left to right. There's two dots, one at the furthest left point, one at the furthest right point. Left is your birth, the right is present day. Above the line are the positive moments, memories, events, experiences, and below the line, it's the opposite. It's the tragedy, the crisis, all of the adversity that you face, the bad things that have happened, even if they have a happy ending in the moment. And so for me, Gary, reflecting back, who I am today started to be molded when, as far back as I have a memory, a lot of my core values, when I look at them now, I can now connect the dots. And that's the difficult part. When, A, when we don't take intentional time and exercise to reflect, that's one miss. I think that's a big gap in a lot of folks is we never, A, call the time out, or B, maybe we don't know the right process to go and do this self discovery work. But it's fascinating, Gary, how when I think back to my earliest childhood days, much of who I am today, how I would describe myself, the messages I would fall on a sword for, the way that my best friends and family and loved ones would describe me. All of these things were formed at an extremely early age. And most of my biggest traits, attributes, characteristics, I never think that were finished products, but I would tell you by the time that I reached university, I pretty much knew exactly who I was, I couldn't put it in words at the time, but that's where if I, if I said those most formative moments, by the time I was through my teenage years, they had already taken form.
1: And tell me about that journey. So, so what did you study at university? What what, what was that journey and, and how did that take you into the world of sports?
0: Uh, it was all business, sales, and marketing. Now, the challenge is today, especially in the United States There's what they call sports management programs, which is essentially hey, not only am I a sports fan, but I want to make a career out of this. I want to jump into the business side of it, I want to be in the operations. And Now that's different from working with the players and coaches every day. Sometimes that is an area that we can explore, but the way it is somewhat church and state is you've got your sport operation over here. You've got your business operation over there in the best of cultures. There is no wall in between. There is harmony. There is a a centralized culture. There is a lot of camaraderie and connection and you feel it. And then in others, unfortunately, there is a bit of a division and and a divide and a separate for me though the way that I broke in because sports management was not that big of a thing when I was in college. And so the quick backstory there is I, I was working for a fortune 10 organization while I was in college, started as a summer intern, then become a recruiting ambassador. And then for a year after school, I am, uh, hustling the streets in a, in a Dodge caravan, minivan <laughs> and product in the backseat. And I am calling on retail and wholesale stores working for this fortune 10 organization. And then I have ESPN radio on and in comes in a guy, I'm not sure how well known he'll be uh, internationally, but he is an NFL draft guru. His name is Mel Kiper, and he is a high energy, fired up type of guy. And he comes on the radio and literally this is an infomercial. He says, have you ever wanted to work in sports? Have you ever dreamed of working for your favorite NFL, NBA, And I just found myself speeding down the highway. (laughs) And uh, thankfully, no tickets later. I I called the 1-800 number. And they told me about an eight-week online course. And if you could create a favorable impression with the professors, they would introduce you to their network. And that's exactly how it Happened from six figures to seven dollars an hour. I started to sell tickets, literally putting butts in seats, making cold calls to individuals that did not want to be called to go to games that they didn't even know they wanted to go to making 150 to 200 calls a day. And that's how I cut my teeth. ESPN, the year that I started, called us the worst brand in sports. I worked for the LA Clippers at the time. This is circa uh, 2005. So down the hall were two guys, one named Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, the other one named the late Kobe Bryant. And so we are in the shadows of that. Sports Illustrated then says you're the worst franchise in sports history. Good luck selling that. Thankfully, was pretty gifted at that, and a few promotions later ended up managing the team that I once sold in, and that's what got my whole career on a rocket ship from LA, New Orleans, Sacramento, New York, San Francisco. It's about a 15-year journey from the entry level to the executive level, but it all started with maybe one of my unlocked moments was listening to my heart while I was speeding down the highway when I heard a message that just touched my soul. Have you ever wanted to work in sports? Most people answer yes, and they don't do anything about it. And I'm not giving myself the credit. I did not act so intentionally with so much greater purpose in this moment, but I've always just had this instinct where when something feels right, when my head and my heart are aligned and connected, then I decide to pull the trigger. And that might've been one of the first professional triggers of meaning for me.
1: And was there ever a sense of vulnerability? Was there ever a sense of, Risk in your mind, or did you just go flat out?
0: So, you know, the term young and dumb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I might have been in more of a young and dumb chapter here Mm. because, to be honest, I added more risk to this situation. When I went from six figures salary to $7 an hour and minimal commissions, and I start with 10 people in my class, and I'm the only one to see the second month on the job. I could have played it somewhat safe and said, okay, at the time, I'm still living at home. And so no rent, no expenses. That's the safer play. Well, smart me, I decided to put more pressure on myself and because what I decided was, well, at the time, it's Staples Center, downtown Los Angeles. Now it's called Crypto.com Arena, but it was Staples Center. I said, let me live as close to Staples Center as possible because- then I can work more. Then I can out-hustle everybody that I'm competing with. And again, this is a a 21, 22-year-old mindset, so very hungry, but I wouldn't say that my humility or vulnerability were high at the time. I've since tried to master those things because I think they are just differentiators now. But back then, I said, no, I'm going to live right next door and $2,000 of rent. Probably now it's four or $5,000 to live there. And I just wanted to put more pressure on myself. My My theory was if I don't sell, then I can't survive. And it sounds very extreme, but I'm 21 years old. That is the pressure that I put on myself. Now, at a later stage and many other decisions, I very much tap into vulnerability, uh, my fears, my honest fears. I realize the risks. I'm very calculated, but at the same time, I think there's a fine line. How can you be calculated, but still in my terminology, play offense? Because if we stay on the sidelines, nothing happens. You have to get in the game. You have to be okay with imperfect action. And that does require uh, stepping through fear and growth, and becoming more of a a courageous decision maker. But what I try to do, Gary, is I bring it down to the lowest common denominator. So if I was to coach somebody and they say, Paul, it seems like you've had a knack for making these big decisions, and courage is one of my core values that I've since identified. Now, what I tell people is you don't start at courage, you start, I call these the four C's, you start with clarity. And once you're clear on who you are, on how you want to be more intentional each day, the next C is you build confidence. So from clarity to confidence, all of this requires time. And so with time of clarity and confidence, You become more convicted. So conviction in your actions is the third C, conviction. Clarity to confidence to conviction. And if you accelerate with more time, there's courage. Courage is a natural byproduct of being clear, then confident, then convicted, and now you're courageous, but it started with clarity. And that's a very simple way of thinking about, let's not focus on the big leap. Let's focus on what can I... How can I win Monday is how I would put it. How do you win Monday? And that can lead to winning a marathon, but it's just like correcting our health. It's one day, one decision, one action at a time.
1: So 21, you start free climbing this cliff like the dorm wall um, and you're going up at pace and you're succeeding. What was the first moment when you looked over your shoulder and realized I'm actually quite high up
0: here? When was that in your career? several times. And I think it's fair to say that you don't realize you're high until you fall. You don't realize it because you assume that the success will keep coming. You assume that the trophies keep coming. You assume that achievement is a forever game. You almost assume you can do no wrong. It's equivalent to in sports. I don't care what sports. If you've won 20 games in a row, you almost feel invincible. But then there's that First loss, and you're not somebody that's losing every game. This is the surprise. This is that couple times a season, it's going to stick out a lot more. So, for me, there were many losses, of course, but I think some of the more humbling ones are so you go from, in my case, sales to sales management. And I didn't know that people are wired in different ways. The way that I learned this lesson is I was managing a team. In my first of two years in this role, there's 30 teams in basketball. They measure against revenue from one team to the next. The first year I was managing, we finished 28th out of 30 in revenue. Now, that's nothing to brag about. But our team, our product on the court that we were selling was also probably at about that rank in the league. They were pretty darn near the bottom. And so nobody really batted an eye. Nobody was blaming me. Nobody was blaming anybody. But when I looked around the room, I felt that there was significant talent. I saw the gifts. I was proud of the folks that we had recruited and brought in. And so there was a mismatch. The scoreboard looked bad, but the room, I thought, was very good. So I take one of my guys out. His name is Eddie. And Eddie is somebody, even though he reported into me, I looked up to Eddie. He was a prior business owner, much older than me. So he kind of was a mentor, even though technically he was on my team. So we go out to lunch. And I said, Eddie. I'm a little frustrated. I I look around the room and I see all these folks and I I know the gift is in the room, but we're not selling very well. What do you think? And Eddie said, what are we doing right now? said, I don't know, man. We're, We're just having lunch. He said, is it fair to say that we're breaking bread? I said, sure, absolutely. We're breaking bread. Eddie said, When's the last time you broke bread with anybody on the team besides me? And that was one of those moments where it was not easy to hear. It was very courageous and honest of him to have that radical candor and tell me. But I needed to hear it. Because the problem, Gary, is I was managing people the way that I was managed. Nobody put their nice white gloves on and gave me the Ritz-Carlton service and said, boy." I was just told to sell things and it was a sink or swim environment. And because of that, I just stepped into that role and I assumed, just like parenting can carry over often the way that we were parented, for better or worse, when we become parents, that's just our default. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but that's our starting point. I had a starting point with a lot of flaws. And so with those flaws and then eventually becoming aware of them, I never realized that there was a more important rule than the golden rule, which was to treat others as you want to be treated, the platinum rule to treat others as they want to be treated. I wasn't treating our team the way that they wanted to be treated. They were not clones of Paul. They were each a beautiful individual, a human being that has an individual purpose. And they had a reason for being there. They wanted to be happy. They wanted to be fulfilled. Of course, they wanted to grow their career, but they wanted that camaraderie and connection. They wanted a relationship with their leader, and I wasn't providing that at one stage, and that conversation with Eddie changed everything for me, and I'll say this. This isn't just a feel-good story that I woke up. Well, 28th out of 30 in revenue one year. Next year, same bad product we were selling. Second, number two out of 30 in revenue Because everybody was showing up as their full self. Similar talent, similar gifts, but now their passion was allowed to shine.
1: It's really interesting. And interesting to hear how it took somebody else giving you that new perspective from outside in to enable you to see something that was there, but wasn't clear to you at that time.
0: You brought up childhood. I think this is very fitting to bring up my parents, because when somebody tells you something like Eddie said, it could go in one ear and out the other. But for me, it really was a wake-up call because my heart cared about everybody around me, but apparently my actions weren't showing it. And to other people, they just care about your actions. You could say, you have all the best intentions in the world, show me. Show me, don't tell me. And in my case, it took me back to a situation where not only the way I was raised, but the biggest loss of my life is my hero died at 19. When I was 19, I lost my dad. And he was an educator by trade. He taught at Continuation High School. And uh, for those that aren't familiar, I'm not sure if these only exist in the United States, but if I could simplify it, Let's say you're in high school and you've been kicked out of one school and then another and then another. You're the troublemaker and nobody believes in you and you land at something called a continuation school. There is no school after continuation. If you screw that one up, the thought and prayer is please do not go become a statistic on the street. That's the reality. After decades of teaching in traditional school, my dad chose to teach in a continuation environment. So I'm at a barbershop a few years after he passes. And one of his former students walks in. I did not know at the time he was a former student. I'm talking a gentleman that was seven feet tall, tattoos all over his body, tattoos on his face. If you saw him in a dark alley, you would run the other way. So he and I lock eyes and I see his hand go up. And all of a sudden, expecting to see a fist, I saw a finger, a finger that was pointing right at me. And he says, are you Mr. Epstein's son? I said, yeah. He said, oh, you look familiar. You were on the side of the stage that I graduated from. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and I'm sorry that I startled you. I, I just wanted to come over and say thank you. Thank you because your dad was the first person that ever believed in me. Your dad gave me a reason to think that tomorrow was worth it. And that was it, Gary. Gary. That moment of understanding who my dad was, because when you lose somebody at 19, I didn't have the full grasp of his impact, now his legacy, his purpose, these big things. I just knew he was amazing to me. I didn't realize what he did outside of the four walls of our home. And this one gentleman that a moment before this I was scared by now seemed like an angel delivering a message. And you could say this is another unlock moment where I knew when he said what he said, the light bulbs went off. And my life doesn't necessarily change automatically the next day. But what happens is when Eddie woke me up and said, you don't care about our team or you don't have relationships with our team, not in a bad way to Eddie, but I was insulted by myself. While looking in the mirror, it felt dirty. Like, would my dad do this? And it's almost like a, you're, you get hard on yourself and you say, how dare you? Like, And I'm talking to myself here. And so, you know, I, I, I think a lot of these unlocked moments, I don't think are, there's a there's a thread. There's a thread. And in a vacuum, maybe it impacts your life forever. Maybe it changes your life. But often the biggest impact is when you have a series of dots along the, this line. And now you can say, Oh, I see the greater meaning. I see the greater purpose because that happened. It led me to this. And all of a sudden we have more clarity. And so that that's just a couple of those unlock type moments for me.
1: It's really interesting. And, and regular listeners will know that I'm fascinated in the moment of clarity that then spins out all sorts of decisions and actions over time. And one of my uh, early interviews on the unlock moment was was a coach um, now, but but he was in an insurance company and he said his unlocked moment of clarity came six years before he actually chose to leave the company. But he knew at that time that his path went in a different direction. And that I think is interesting because often people, they think about the action, they think about the, when I left my job. What I want to know is, when did you know? And what was happening at that moment that you knew? Because What happened in that moment tells you something very powerful about, as you say, purpose and values and, you know, whatever's important to you. So we talked before we started recording on the podcast about, you know, a moment when you started to really figure out, you know, where your life was going to go. And that connected back to values and purpose again. So bring us into that story.
0: Yeah, and I, I love where you're bringing us because... Not only am I going to share a story of when my life started to change, when I thought nothing was wrong and nothing was broken, I had nothing to fix. But then I, like your uh, story of, uh, did he say it was a former coach?
1: He's now he's now a coach, yeah, but he was working in financial services before.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I my path did not necessarily take six years, but I can 100% align and I have lived a very similar path. So what started this was... Fast forward, LA, Sacramento, New Jersey, New York, Super Bowls, and leading revenue, breaking some revenue records. Then I go out to San Francisco, work for the NFL team, the 49ers. And my most recent role there was head of sales and business development. Now, you open up a billion dollar campaign, and again, you crush all these records. The world applauds you. So you think nothing's wrong, you have nothing to fix. And Life was really good, Gary, to be honest, Uh, even to the point of taking it off of business for a second my wife somehow convinces me to get married where I work. I got outvoted one-to-one, <laughs> and so she says, hey, don't you host weddings at the stadium? And little be known to me, months later, there we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the football field, literally a month after Super Bowl 50. We And so the, the paint of the 5-0 had not even disappeared at this point. And so all this to say, it was awesome. And then a couple months after that amazing day on the field, I go to a leadership offsite retreat. I find my why. I started to understand my values with crystal clear clarity. And my life has never been the same since. Because what happens is, in that moment, I knew something special had happened, but I couldn't put it in words. So the next day, I'm just radiating a different type of energy. And I go back into the front office, and I tell my team all about it. And I thought that was it. But then the next day, one guy on my team says, hey, Paul, that thing you did at the retreat, you think you could help me find my why? And the next day, another person, one leads to two, leads to five, leads to 10, leads to nearly 50 people over the course of a year. It started purely in business, then some players and coaches, even human resources. The HR department says, we'd love on an opt-in basis for you to start coaching the why to our recruits. And our onboarding employees. So for me, this became the calling. This is how I became known as the Y coach of the San Francisco 49ers. So not only did I understand myself from the inside out, I felt bolder, more clear, and more confident because I started to help others discover that compass that I started our conversation on from why to values, to beliefs, to decisions, to actions, aligning who are you? What do you stand for? How do you show up? And I just saw people, personally and professionally, transform from the time that we had that conversation. Because it was more than a conversation; there was an action plan, a three hundred and sixty-five plan to follow. That's the only way that the impact can be sustained. So now, fast forward. This is where I connect with your uh, with your coach a lot because sometimes when we understand who we are. There's a positive side because of the clarity. Here's the downside. If you haven't been living a fully authentic life, you will feel massive tension. And I felt tension because I felt like I was showing up at work as work Paul. And then everywhere else, I was just Paul. So there were two different versions of me because I was prioritizing, probably over indexing career growth and success so much. And it felt like the right thing to do because again, I'm just emulating the people above me and they're grooming me and they're saying, come along for the ride and absolutely success begets success. And at the time that felt like the most important thing. But then once I started to understand who I am and then I also understood that one of my core values is authenticity. I said, something's off here. How could I possibly be showing up as two different people and that being authentic in both? It's just, I'm lying to myself. That absolutely is not possible If authenticity, it's at its purest form. So then I started to practice what I preached and I said, hmm, my values should start informing my decisions. So the two values I'll point out that tie to this story. The first is growth. The second is going to be impact. In total, my values are growth, impact, courage, authenticity, and belief. Starting with growth. I said, what's one action I can take to serve this value? And I said, Paul, you should do something that you said you would never do before have a growth mindset. Like go attack something that kind of scares you. And that maybe you don't even know why you're doing it, but it just feels right in the moment. And so the thing I said was, I will never go back to school. And I remember that because for me, university was a party, it was fun, I was young. But then to get my master's, to get my MBA, I just didn't know if there was value in my industry. But now because of this tension, I thought, well, what if I'm not gonna spend the rest of my career in sports? What if these three letters of MBA could actually add massive value to my life? Screw it. I'm going to go for it. And I got accepted into the University of Michigan uh, for their executive MBA program. Here's where we connect the dots. Growth allowed me to make that decision. I sit down with my executive coach. Her name is Sue Ann. A month into the program, and she, at the time, I'm head of sales at the Niner. She says, Paul, I know what you do. What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? And what do you tolerate? And I answered all three. And then she said, go deeper on that love bucket. And I told her, Sue I love being a coach just like you. I love molding and growing and developing talent. I love the culture side of business. I love the people side of business. That's what gets me out of bed. And she said, awesome. On a good day, what percentage of your day are you doing that? And I thought to myself, kind of sinking in the chair, 10 to 20%. She said, okay, let's call it 20%. If you became your boss tomorrow, would that number 20% go up, down, or sideways? And I thought my boss does almost all strategy, not a lot with people, so 20% would go down. And this was the question, Gary. She asked, so what are you after? And it was such a simple question, but it was so profound in its meaning because it was the right question at the right time the right person i was ready to hear it most importantly i was ready to act on it that moment for me mentally like your coach mentally i knew that i was going to leave sports because i asked myself if impact and making a difference is something that is core to who i am can i create more impact inside of these four walls or beyond and at that point This massive looking Jerry Maguire-like leap was actually one of the easiest decisions of my life. I didn't jump the next day. It took me, unlike the story you told about six years, it took me about seven, eight months. Still wasn't overnight by no means. I still had to process it. Where do I land? How do I go financially? What's this gonna mean for my family? Like all the things that we should be thinking about. But mentally, I knew I was out. I knew that there was a, a healthy divorce ahead And so that was just a decision that I decided to make, but it was all tied back to my core values and just chasing this potentially impossible feeling of feeling alive 100% of the time because she got me to realize I only feel alive 10 to 20% of the day. I don't know if 100% is possible, but I'm willing to die trying. And I'm gonna take a leap to figure this out.
1: One of the things I talk about in my book, The Idea Mindset is this idea that you can't think to a deadline. So we all live life around actions and tasks. And, you know, you'll say, well, you know, these are the things that need to happen. They need to happen by Friday. And the team goes, right, we're gonna make them happen by Friday. If you say to your team, I want you to figure out your why by Friday, they might come back with an answer, (laughs) but it might not be the right one. So how does this play to the time it takes for you to figure out the path ahead? So that idea that, you know, when you're in conversation with somebody and, and you say, you know, by the end of this session, you know, do people figure out quite quickly for you what what their why is? Or for some people, does it take a long time of, of real sort of deep reflection to figure it out?
0: Great question. My answer has changed over the years. When I found my why and the way that I initially used to coach it out to others, it was long form coaching, hours, maybe a day, sometimes a couple days of workshops. That's how I learned it. Now, via an assessment, I can get people to their why. And I'm happy to give this to all your listeners if you'd like. I can give them a link to go to. I have access to a five-minute why discovery. You literally, there are nine possible whys in the world. They range from things like mastery and better way and right way and trust and challenge and contribution and things of that sort. And we fit into one of these nine. Now, I I want to take a moment here to separate why versus purpose, because here's my shift of thinking as well. I think when we try to attack a big North Star or find a North Star, A, it feels very overwhelming. B, it's very daunting. C, I think there's less success stories than stories of a swing and a miss. I tried and I still don't quite feel I figured it out to your point of asking the question. And so what I try to do is lessen the pressure. And so I start with this assessment because now at least you can have a word or two that describe your North Star. And I'll tell you, Gary, I've given it to tens of thousands of folks. Literally only one person has ever come back to me and said, I'm not sure about the result. Well, it turns out it wasn't or why it was, you know, the why, how, what of Simon Sinek. She was getting confused between why and how, needless to say, We're batting nearly a thousand on the confidence meter of these results. uh, And it's all brought by my uh, partners at the Y Institute that they spent years developing this algorithm. So if you have a central Y, that's great. You tether yourself to that. You anchor yourself to that. Now, what does purpose mean? I used to use them interchangeably. I now am very distinct and clear about the difference. To me, you can only have one Y, but you can have many purposes. Meaning, purpose is close to your what. Purpose is the 365 lifestyle that follows once you identify your why. So for me, my why is to contribute. If I was to ask, what does contribute mean in my words? It's to make an impact. What does that mean? It means making a difference. How do I know if I'm doing that? Am I leaving people in places better than I found them? That's it. That's my personal definition. So when I ask, Am I a contributor in this meeting right now, in this conversation, in this podcast, in this day, in this week, in this month? Did I leave people and places better than I found them? If it is a yes, then I am fulfilling the service to my why. Now, my purpose is very different. Purpose says, plural. I can have purpose anywhere that the person means something to me or the place means something to me. I have purpose as a dad. I have purpose as a husband. I have purpose in my career. I have purpose in the community. I have purpose in the, in the friendships that I hold. So what I love about this, Gary, is it takes the pressure off of I have a central purpose, a central reason for being. Now I'm just like, does it mean something to you? Does it matter? Then there's some purpose to be found in there. Go, go, go be curious. Go experiment a little bit. Go play in the field a little bit. It's not pressure. I've depressurized purpose, and I get a five-minute why assessment. So that's like the one-two punch where now I've, I'm democratizing these things. I'm giving people access to them in a non-intimidating, non-overwhelming way. And that, for me, has just served astronomically because I used to absolutely lose people when it was solely about a North Star. Now, hey, curiosity, you'll lead to some passion. Passion over time becomes... There's some purpose behind door number three, but door one is curiosity. Door two is passion. Door three is purpose. Let's go back to door one. Let's start there. I
1: love it. I saw you said once, when you care about the game, you're more likely to win the game. What does winning the game mean for you?
0: (laughs) For one, that is also tied to purpose. When people ask me, so I talk about offense versus defense all the time. Sports analogy, but it's a metaphor for life. If defense is adversity, and let's say you get knocked down, which all of us do. We have, we will continue to. What is your reason to get up off the mat? Why? What is your inspiration, your motivation to get up? My belief is when you care about getting up, you will. So if I know that I've been failing my family and I love my family dearly, but I haven't been showing up at my best. So that adversity, something bad happens, it knocks me down. Best believe I will figure it out, come hell or high water, how to get up. But if there's something like I don't really even love my job, I'm kind of disengaged and something bad happens at work, I might not persevere because I don't know if I have a spirit in the fight. I just don't care as much, period. So that's a little context that sets this up. When you ask about, care, and you ask about winning, wow, has my perspective on winning changed over the years. I've explained some of my younger development and younger immaturities. I used to think that winning was trophies, winning was success, winning was achievement. There was a lot of me in that. There was a lot of serving self in that. The argument of success versus significance, if success is serving self and significance is serving others, Now I just chase significance. And what I find, Gary, is I know countless people like the old version of me that have achieved phenomenal success, but yet they don't feel significance in life. But yet, I don't know a single person that tells me that they feel significance in life and is not successful. I don't think it's an or game. It's an and game, but the order matters. You start with significance and success seems to be baked in versus the opposite is not necessarily true. So where I used to measure winning by outcomes, goals, numbers, metrics, now what's the inside like? Am I happy? Am I fulfilled? Do I feel alive? Am I serving? Am I contributing? Am I driving impact? Am I being true to my values? Am I being true to my why? Do I feel purpose and meaning in the day? If I'm checking those boxes, the trophies will come. And even if they didn't, honestly, who cares? Honestly, like I am as driven and ambitious as they come. I'm just telling folks they will come, but I don't even think about them. They become natural outcomes versus drivers. That's the differentiator. I went from being driven to those external things to now they're just outcomes. If I win the inside game, then I'll win the outside game.
1: I think that's a fantastic place to land. Paul, it's been great having you on the podcast. People have really enjoyed hearing from you. Where can they find out more about you?
0: Website is paulepsteinspeaks.com and then the resource to discover your why in five minutes, just head to why, so W-H-Y, institute.com forward slash purpose why forward slash purpose gary i'm sure we could toss this in the show notes but that is a gift from me to your entire audience and just thoroughly enjoy the conversation
1: the unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead for sports executive and leadership coach paul epstein it was discovering his why at a leadership retreat for the san francisco 49ers where he found his sense of authentic purpose and everything changed from there paul thank you so much for joining me today on the unlock moment this has been the unlock moment a podcast with me dr gary Crotez. thank you for listening in you can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book the idea mindset find me on instagram at dr gary Crotez, and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on the Unlock Moment.